I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Jade from Birmingham and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. Okay, so my question is, if we've evolved to no longer need them, why do we still have baby toes? Here comes the show and thanks for listening. And remember... Question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from. Everything from Jade from Birmingham's question. Uh, if we no longer need them, why do we still have baby toes? Uh, Dane, uh, it's an evolution question this week from a listener. Where do you, where do you stand on Great this? Great question. Uh, thank you very much, Jade, for combining both intellectual question as well as a, a cutesy, cutesy, a cutesy poo question with baby toes. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question because, you know, the other one is why men still have nipples if they don't lactate. Mm. And I think, you know, maybe men having titties and toes is I can't speak for uh, I can only speak for my gender in that I believe that maybe baby toes are there to keep people I think they're there to keep people humble I think when you stub your toe on the corner of like a skirting board or on a bedpost or on a door <laughs> I think we all suffer a pain that we all realise that neither our parents nor the deities which we worship can protect us from and so you're there to remind you that you are still human and that even though almost everything is now at the human fingertips, your toes still haven't got it sorted out yet. So be humble. The actual the actual scientific reason is that we used to climb trees, right? Yeah. And we don't obviously need to do that anymore. And those toes are therefore defunct, uh, unless you happen to climb trees using your feet in that kind of kind of way. But I'm not sure you do. Which is true. Oh, I mean, I can pick up a pound coin with my, with my toes, so that's useful. And well, Jade, I hope that answers your question. And suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we? Absolutely, Howard. We are not ones to tiptoe around the subject. I'm so sorry, everyone, including you, Jade. Um, I'm normally funny, and this show's normally good. And if you do like it, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all of the questions from all of our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a comedian, presenter, actor, and writer, among many other things. He was nominated four times for the Edinburgh Comedy Award before winning Best Show in 2010. He became the first comedian to win the Edinburgh Award and the Melbourne Comedy Festival's Barry Award in one year. On TV, he is known as the host of the three series of Live at the Electric and regularly appears on Live at the Apollo, Celebrity Juice, and I'm a Celebrity Getting Me Out of Fear to this day. And now his first novel, The Humorist, was nominated for literary prizes. He has also written, directed, and starred in three plays, but he has his own amazing podcast, which I've also appeared on, called Boys Don't Cry, which I highly recommend. If you don't know, you better get to know. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Ruffle Kane. Hello. Hello. I mean, from a, from a question and answer point of view, I would say Evil Genius is a more relevant plug. That is the BBC podcast I'm doing where we take sort of historical figures and 
throw out unknown sort of previously unknown facts that blow people's minds. Mm. So we'll, t- we'll take people that everyone worship, like a sort of a Gandhi or Diego Maradona or Picasso or whoever, and I let off little fact bombs around them, confuse my panel, and then they have to vote evil or genius at the end. So it's it would almost it could be a distant cousin of this podcast in that loads of juicy new facts uh, revealed throughout the show. Lovely. And, and have you found any particularly horrific things about people, uh, Russell? Or? All the time. I mean, so I mean that is the purpose. Unless we're doing a reverse episode where we're taking someone who it's fashionable to revile, and then I let off genius bombs around them to confuse the panel. <laughs> I mean, the, the Gandhi episode always sticks in my mind, and uh, I mean I get trolled regularly once a week as I throw mud at an icon, but Gandhi obviously. It was quite an intense week of my life. <laughs> and he slept with underage girls. <laughs> yes, Gandhi used to test, that's correct, Gandhi used to test his celibacy wow. by sleeping naked under a duvet with his 19-year-old niece and emerging the next day going, I didn't fuck her. And everyone was like, legend. <laughs> so that's what he did. That's not the worst thing he did, though, Dane. Do you know how racist Gandhi was? No, right. Yeah, he was very racist, yeah. But not just not just like, like a normal racist dad. No, uh, a racist yeah, he got he got it put through Parliament so that Indian people wouldn't have to queue with African people in the same queue. This is your robe wearing Muslims and Hindus unite Gandhi. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's why people get shot in the chest, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I've got lo- I've got loads like that, but it's not just like heavy political figures. We do like we just did we did James Bond yesterday. We recorded it. We sometime now and again we'll do like a fictional episode. I think you were, were you on once, Dane. Yeah, yeah. I think, I'm trying to remember which once one. I did. Twice. Did you do Father Christmas? Or I'm misremembering I, I, that. I did Father Christmas, and I did. Is that the Whitney and Whitney Houston? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Father Christmas episode was was an absolute shocker. Turns out it's a nonce that breaks into houses looking for children. Well, you know. Who, who really likes kids that don't belong to them, Russell? That is the question. <laughs> you have to question any person who wants to spend time around children they didn't give birth to. I want to drive a mm-hmm. school bus. Well, unless you're drugged off your tits like Otto is on The Simpsons, I'm very suspicious. Exactly. So, you know. I mean, I don't trust people that want to spend time around their own children. That That's weird. Exactly. I've actually been thinking about that quite a lot recently because I've got this baby that me and my wife made, Russell. Uh, he's li- he yeah. lives here now. And... Um, as a baby, it's kind of you know he's quite he's quite fun really, and obviously he's going to evolve into a proper person. And I imagine that's going to be more maintenance uh, in some ways. Whereas the maintenance right now is like you know he he doesn't know how not to shit himself. You know that's that's kind of quite simple maintenance, yeah. isn't it? He'll revisit that phase when he's a, between eighteen and forty one. <laughs> <laughs> only when he's on when he's on the beer. Yeah. In his defence. Even the reason why he's living in your house is was at his old house. He used to see you poking your dick through the window. So, <laughs> you know, I'd probably be house hunting too after a few months of that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates, before my wife has a go at me, yeah. she won't have a go. Shout out to Tara again. Yeah. Um. But yes, it's time for a question. Uh, Russell Kane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love your work. As our very esteemed guests, we are invited to ask the first question, uh, which could be any type of question which we'd like to discuss. And then Howard will do the same. And then lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, I do it one more time. Then we find out more. We can find out more about your uh, amazing works uh, alongside Boys That Cry, Evil Genius, and all of your amazing wares. Then everybody have a nice time. How's that sound? I've got one. So uh, as, a, as, a, as a sort of covered in hummus lefty comedian obsessed with identity and everything like that, as we all are, um, there's one that gets ignored. So I, my question is, to what extent do you think this trait that you're born with, you can't change it, 
you're born with this trait. You've got one, a, a version of this identity. To what extent does it decide your income level, your life outcomes, how much poverty you will live in, how, what type of sexual success you'll have and how you will die and live. And that is height. <laughs> you can't control how tall you're going to be. And by all accounts, well, I'm going to let you answer it first. What do you think the correlation is? Interesting. For a man, we're talking for men here. I should have said mm. for men. Thinking of men, uh, I think there is, it, it can be a very big uh, determinant of your uh, the way your life will turn out, particularly because there are certain aesthetics and connotations that are associated with height. Um, I know this because I come from a community whereby it's now become a very common narrative from uh, women in uh, the dating marketplace that if a man is under six feet, then... <laughs> Dame, you sound like you've been made in a last... <laughs> Dame got 5,000. Now program for mating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, height plays a massive difference in terms of how you might necessarily be treated um, because... I'd say at least, at least romantically and sexually, it is presumed that if you are a taller man, that you have a larger amount of, you'll be uh, naturally more masculine and uh, predisposed to be a better sexual partner, have a big, bigger phallic size or bigger, bigger dick than your daughter uh, uh, <laughs> counterparts. Well, that's a different question. Does height correlate with genital size? And of course, they're t- they're on two different systems, which is why someone who's in a wheelchair can still get a bone <laughs> because the, the, gen- the genitals sit on a different system to the glands and, and hormones that dictate your height. So sadly, you can be seven foot one with an absolute acorn. Absolutely, but by the time by the time we get to somebody's home or to the hotel, it's true, true, you know, true. They, they may not check by then, you know. Um, so, <laughs> So I think, I think, yeah, but at the same time, I think what it is is that even though they're not correlated, there is a presumption that they are correlated, that if his hands are big, right. big, big everything must be big. And so, again, you're yeah. given somewhat more grace than your shorter counterparts. Um, I think that is on a very superficial level that that is generally the uh, consensus. But I think a lot of the time there's always going to be, uh, I suppose, exceptions to this rule or because I personally believe the issue is more about stature than it is about height Hmm. but i think height does play a big part again like i'm speaking from my own community experience is uh you may be pushed in particular uh sports you know i meet most people and they're like do you play basketball and i'm like not really they're like but why Hmm. i don't like it but you know it's presumed that i'd be into basketball well we all know we all know tom davis right on this uh, all three of us i'm sure have spent time with tom and tom often talks about the pain of being a really tall bloke uh, which is, you know, yeah, there's a threshold. Yeah. So yeah. But moving to the point as well as that, if you are over six foot, then, you know, you seem to be in a small window of, uh, appreciation. And I'd say that runs from about six foot one or six foot to like six, four. Once you go into six, five and then six, six, where you will be, uh, classified as a giant, then again, it means your life would be very different where you tend to stand out a lot more because you are classified as a giant probably have to field a lot more asinine questions uh, with regards to your height and back to what we're discussing about the correlation between that and penis size that most people have to listen to um and you know i think that has an effect on your life expectancy as well for um, circulatory reasons short guys live longer as a rule they live but they, but they live alone you have a whole life of being tall but then when you die I'm hoovering all the pom pom in the nursing home. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> but Russell, I've got to ask Russell a question, which is circle of life. Russell, you 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 know our listeners may know you, uh, they may not know you, but they also might not know. You know, what, what, how, do you want me asking how tall you are? 
five foot ten the exact uk average not that average really means anything um it doesn't mean there's lots of five foot ten people in the uk it, it just means it's the it's not the median height of uh, in the uk it's the average as do you feel being at the average height has affected your life in a specific way it definitely um i've have been out with girls that were five nine. Uh, well, I went out with one girl that was five nine. So as soon as she's in heel, she was taller than me, and I had an issue with that, and I was disgusted because I'm like, you know, like, oh my god, gender's constructed, man. I mean, yeah, we we can evolve, we can become super beings, and then I'm like, <laughs> like the most basic monkey behavior: girl bigger than me, me threatened, and I put like buffalo heels on just so I can feel taller. These there were these platform shoes called buffaloes these retro black one i mean that's pathetic isn't it so so insecure as a man um but yeah so for me it's average height is not an issue for, for stand-up i don't think because you're on a stage no one really has a perception of how tall you are on a stage but definitely uh in everyday life i mean this has been studied if you want me to spoil it and give you the answer no, no, or, please do please do let us, let us know it's, it's been studied. Interestingly, it's not as um, dramatic for women. The life outcomes, the difference in height, is not as dramatic for women as it is in men. It's, it's a matter. I think it's somewhat of a double standard, and I, I have a bit uh, pertaining to this in that you know, yeah, men don't even factor in women's height, in, whether it's genetically or romantically. And uh, you know, there are some. I guess there are some. Like you said some gender based. There's a gender based dichotomy in terms of what are the connotations of height are. Between the two, right? But interestingly, the BMI, if you like, how if you want to be impolite, how fat we are, um, that plays in the other direction. So BMI has less of an impact on men's socioeconomic status, although it does have an impact than it does for women. And I've got the maths here, if you can bear with me. So a standard one deviation in BMI. So I think like you're supposed to be, I don't know what, twenty four BMI. So if you go up one and you're 25 BMI as a man, you will lose on average £210 a year income. Wow. So that's really, really easy to understand. Ooh. A woman will lose nearly two grand of income for every BMI point she goes up. And we spend our whole lives obsessing about gender inequality, racial equality. I bang on about class until I'm hoarse from it, boring everyone with my Essex background. Behind the scenes... <laughs> Just carrying a bit of belly fat will knock two grand off your income from prejudiced employers who do not reward you because you're not slim enough. It's crazy that we don't talk about it. It's also, from a comedian's point of view, interesting and funny, and there's loads you could do stand-up about mm. it. And then, of course, in, in height, so uh, if we say um, one, for, to make a standard measurement point, they've used 6.3 um, centimetres for men. Um, and so education the same, everything controlled out, everything the same. For every 6.3 centimetres, it's an extra two to four grand income a year. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. If you said that, if I said, oh, uh, in, in our firm, if you are Bangladeshi, you will earn two grand a year more than someone who is Indian, I'd be nicked. <laughs> but if I can quite happily pay a man who is two inches taller, two grand a year, no one, why is no one talking about this? Well, it's, and it's also the same why? with beautiful people, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a beautiful person to look at. Harder to measure though. Harder to prove, harder to measure. But I reckon, yeah, I reckon yeah, there's yeah. A, a correlation though, eh? Uh, in, in, in. Yeah, there's a good, definitely, definitely the fit fitness is something else. So, so, but fitness you can control a little bit. Mm. You can, you could, you can work out. You can, if you want, do plastic surgery. You can color your hair. You can get hair implants. You can change the way you look. At, at the time of recording, pretty difficult to change your height. Yeah. Well, it's also that thing of 
I guess with the fitness side of things, that the, there's the potential for you know just just to be really blunt about it, if that's okay. Like you know, if if you turned up to an interview and and you were physically out of shape and you kind of you know were, were breathing heavily, having walked over to the you know the interview room, then that obviously has an impact. Also, if you feel physically fit, you're kind of more confident, right? That's a natural, I think, impact of being you know. F- you would, yeah, but you'd be better off if we're both walking towards the interview and you're wheezing and unfit, but six foot three, <laughs> and I'm trim as trim and fit as fuck and five foot eight. You'll probably still get the job, even if, if we both have equal education. Wow, that's shocking, isn't it? Like, think? High privilege, mate. Why is no one talking about high privilege? <laughs> it is what, what the fuck? Because I can't think of a purer thing that you are b- born with and can't change that can, can sit alongside. I mean, gender. You could even change your gender now if you want to, mm-hmm. uh, if you feel that way inclined. If you if you don't identify in, in a traditional binary way, but there's very few things you can be born with that truly, truly biological born with it are not your fault that you can't change, you should not be judged on. And it's always blown my mind. And the more I look into it, I'm not. I'm sort of getting stand-up angry, not genuinely <laughs> angry, because I don't feel like it's impacted on my life. Maybe it has. Maybe I'd have a few more houses. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird one as well, isn't it? Because I definitely feel that the tall people I know have been impacted by being so tall and 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 in some respects really positively and in other respects uh, it, it can it can bring them a pressure that they don't deal with very well i don't know if you ex- have experienced because dane you're tall right how tall are you i am six foot one so that's it that's the dream yeah. yeah i mean it was it took a while to achieve this dream because uh, i was a very uh, late developer so far as height within my family my dad is also six one uh, my grandfather my maternal grandfather i believe is a uh, Six two, six two and a half maybe, uh, and I think my, my paternal grandfather is uh, also is six foot. You come from like a wealthy background, eh? What's your what's your history? Because the correlation is this, which is this, what some people say anyway. That this, this is where we're in speculation, but there's no doubt about it. So my granddad is five foot seven. My granddad's alive and well. My mum's dad. My granddad's five. My granddad's five seven, five eight, and I'm five ten. And my daughter's already tall. So you can change within two or three generations with good nutrition and eating the right food and not starving and shit like that. Um, they, people get taller. So if you if you go to Parliament, for example, or if you go to Oxford University to do a gig, there'll be a lot more tall boys there because of generations of privilege. Mm-hmm. So it tends to be the case that the taller you are, the more privilege your family has had hmm. but i don't i don't know if that's the same cross-culturally because of height and see there's a preferential feature when people are factoring for potential uh partners then having a certain height will predispose you to having better choices both uh romantically or i say financially and romantically um so i'd say you know upper upper work or i say lower middle or upper working class i'd say by yeah. standards but if, the interest is when twins get split up and one twin gets brought up in a slightly poorer household there won't be much in it but the posher twin will be millimeters taller they're genetically fucking identical in africa like one of the methods of colonialism was encouraging uh women not to breed with tall men from tribes like the maasai or from like tribes and nubian tribes mm. in south sudan because of a way of trying to you know uh, destroy the uh, masculinity amongst the continent. It was encouraged that women would mate with like pygmies and members of the so they'd be smaller. Because yeah, like if you look, because uh, I think pygmies are more native to like South Central, like Rwanda uh, and uh, Republic of Congo, like further down towards the south. And uh, yeah, people never really used to be that short. Like for example, like the Zulus and like South African men used to be really tall. 
but there was an attempt, like as there was like in Brazil, to kind of remove that element of masculinity and, and blackness from uh, the uh, right. gene pool, yeah. Based on, yeah, and that would, that would add up. I'm, I'm reading a really brilliant book on diet and how, why we all got fat around 1960 at the moment. And they were talking about traditional African diets back in the day. And everyone's like, oh, we started farming because there wasn't enough food. That's why we got agriculture. And it's absolutely bullshit. By all accounts, up until like the 17, 1800s, the place was fucking running amok with game. Same on these islands as well hmm. before farming started. There's fucking deer, buffalo, we're eating meat, milk fat which is why everyone was so tall because there were shit loads of stuff to eat hmm. as soon as we started farming everyone started shrinking because we started eating bagels and shit <laughs> nothing wrong with a bagel from a cohen i can tell you well, you know top of the top <laughs> yeah, of the but, bread but, food but, chain wheat runs out yeah. we re, this is when we get on the cycle of famine and and feast this people think oh it's what must have always been like in africa and, and europe in fact but it wasn't back in the day before farming concentrated wealth onto a few people there were shit loads stuff we'd open our front door i could chuck a spear out drag a deer fruit venison for dinner bring it lovely on. <laughs> it, 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 i think it's an amazing question russell that the height thing and, I, and I, I think maybe our listeners could go away and think about uh the next time they're judging people for their height uh the impact it may have had on them because i definitely think short people get it you know get a lot of shit don't they that's that's for sure. Yeah, man. It's, 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 we talk, every day in the news at the moment, quite rightly so, we're talking about unconscious bias. Mm. This is bias that is buried and invisible. It's not even just unconscious. I don't think anyone even knows it's there. Yeah. It, it, uh, but it's every every graph, every, everything you can track, health, uh, l- longevity, income, how successful you are with ladies, all of it. And for girls get it from BMI. So what the fuck? But BM, like I say, BMI at least you can have some get some hold on. Yeah. Um, although there's a lot of argument about how much, how much it is genetically uh, determined versus eating too much. And at the moment, in fact, it seems to suggest there's fuck all you can do if your genes are telling you to overeat. It's the other way around to what people think. People think that people who are overweight are overweight because they overeat. In fact, they overeat because they're overweight because of it's a genetic issue. So BMI is not as simple as people think, but you could you still can do some shit but hype forget it mm, yeah it's um what did you call it before dane if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The height privilege. Height privilege. Height privilege. Yeah. Hashtag height privilege. Let's see if uh, our <laughs> listeners get involved. But thank you, Russell, for bringing that, like that, that question to our show. Wonderful question. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna steer us in a in a slightly different direction for my question, if that's okay, guys. But it's been a that was a that was a, a beauty, and I love the fact you had the answer, Russell. That's uh, that's something that we don't often have on this show, right, Dane? Is it, and, and it's a British study. If people want to look it up, it's in the BMJ. It was studied. Um, Goo, you'll find the study, and very recently as well, within the last four or five years, the BMJ actually looked at this, and it was a decent sized sample as well. Mm. It was 120,000 men, and they tried to control out class and all the other things you can think of amazing well check it out listeners and um i am gonna steer us in a in the direction of a conversation i think a lot of people would be asking me to facilitate on this show my question and this podcast is being released in late march in uh, 2021 and this is a conversation that will have happened for years and years and years and is arguably uh, more pertinent to be having now than ever before. And that question is, what should be the future of the British monarchy? And the I actually had a listener message me earlier to say, are you guys going to talk about what's been going on with, with Meghan, Harry, Oprah, and the rest of them? And I could not think of two more uh, brilliantly minded people than yourselves to hear discuss uh, this issue. Russell, I'd love I'd love to <laughs> love you to kick us off. I feel like we need the most toxic part of this whole conversation, obviously, is the uh when Megan was talking not just about being suicidal, but when there was a question about what shade, what colour this baby would be. I think that's the thing everyone's talking about. That's for me was the mic drop moment. Um, Oprah's jaw hit the floor. Until we know at what level that question was asked, we don't know what damage has been done. It would be like feeling a little jiggle on the Titanic and me and Dane going, that eh, might be an iceberg, might not. Should we abandon ship anyway? If it's high enough up the food chain, and some of us suspect it might be, it's a totally different conversation. It's, I could think, a death blow for the institution. So cards on the table, I work with something called the Prince's Trust, and they do such amazing work, like really, really mm. good, good work with re- people that really, really need it. I really, and like, I don't just do it like to appear at a posh dinner and eat a volivant. I do actually believe in it. Um, so I'm really conflicted about going in with both guns. Um, the one, the one thing I'm willing to put to put out there and which I probably will do. I've got a stand-up gig tonight, a filmed one, which I'm, de- I'm definitely going to put it down on film is the fucking everyone focusing on Megan and Harry when Andrew is getting away with noncing at the side. That to me, I can't get my head around. Why are we getting so angry because um, Harry, the selfish bastard, wanted to raise his baby in private. I've never heard such disgusting, abusive behaviour in my life. Meanwhile, Andrew's still polishing his HRH at the side going, where are the girls at? Um, so that I can't get my head around. The issue is about human beings and our fixation on either singularities or our, our need to attach ourselves to ideals. So it's like, you know, the idea of monarchy might not necessarily be a bad thing, but it's what what makes up what we are defining as monarchy. Because even though we're saying like, oh, you know, what's wrong with the royal family is, I mean, 
who knows because they are a family and you know that that's one type of family and we don't know what that's like at the same time you know there is an entire uh, there are several institutions that come under the umbrella term of monarchy that you know these people don't necessarily have any say in or any interaction with but you know they are also they're going to be the lightning rod for any scrutiny as well as any praise as an institution i would say personally i think in a world where particularly a lot of the people who are uh, openly uh, supportive of the monarchy and, and traditionalists who support the idea of monarchy and uh, commonwealth and colonialism are also the people that are largely outspoken against the evils of socialism and welfare states and so they're by that same token if you are happy there are also some people that are so outspoken about being atheists and stuff. So I'm like, if you are that outspoken about a free economy where no one gets a handout, then I'm happy for you guys to have a monarchy, but I feel like it's time to cut them off. Mm. I don't mind if they exist in principle for the sake of pomposity or ecotourism mm-hmm. as they're normally uh, justified um, by, but I just don't have to pay for it anymore. Because mm. when Kate and William got married, I was working in Westminster. So not only am I working just to be able to afford to work there, but the thing I'm paying for and catering is right next door, and I'm not even fucking invited. So <laughs> you will be to the next one, though, Dane. Sir Dane, I should say. I don't doubt it. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think what what's to be done with the monarchy is that it's like, who is the monarchy? Is 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 is, is, is another question. It's a think. fucked up, weird. In, yeah. It's a weird idea, isn't mm. it? That just because you fell out of a certain family, you're going to run the country with that. Well, with no, not actually run the country. But, but, I mean, just have a have a have a kind of an unparalleled place within society. What, what is their place already? This confuses me because on the one hand, I think it's crazy. Like people are like, oh, the, the royal family, you know, we, we're supposed to exalt this to a certain level and elevate their status to another level. But they're fucking in Hello Magazine, blood. I can't... <laughs> you can't be in the same magazine as a Kardashian and people still believe in the concept of monarchy. I guess, like, like I said, due to like, you know, my uh, <laughs> lineage or, you know, I guess the royal family, the lineage has to be traced by God or by... Um, kings and queens and nobles and stuff. And you're telling me because someone got a surgeon to make their bum bigger, they're going to be in the same magazine as a monarch or a region that's supposed to be the from God himself. But you got, there's a bit of that with stand-ups as well. Like we have, we have this sort of status as um, these lofty speakers of the truth, which we wrap up in humour. It can be really powerful and people hang on our every word. I mean, I don't, half the things I talk about, I don't have a degree. The only thing I should be doing stand-up about is English literature, really. So I've got all this state now and again, we I, we do make mistakes. I mean, I can remember like I was doing this Edinburgh show, like cutting through uh, all the nonsense of the world, calling power to account. And then the same month I appeared on the cover of Reg Transfers Monthly, <laughs> which is the magazine for registration plate transfers. Just so, get, oh, Russell Kane, just so I can get a free plate. I've told you before in several occasions when we meet, if you're going to come on here and throw that achievement in my face, <laughs> I will ask you to leave, sir. I will get there one fucking day. It's, well, it's well worth a Google. Every it's me across the bonnet of a Mercedes holding K-A-N 333E. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I mean, it's I such a it's 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 what a d- divisive time this this is now for this conversation, right? Which is why I wanted to bring it to you guys. And I tell you the thing that I I, I don't know. Look, I, I really wouldn't ever kind of. Uh, disparage uh, particularly the work you, you, you talked about doing Russell that, that respect for doing that and respect that charity but there is one thing that I'm really tired of regarding the, the entire conversation and that's how toxic the a lot of the media use use the monarchy for the the, the, the way they use them is is this blind patriotism you know someone said to me the other you know other day like they uh, they, they were a bit tired of hearing the national anthem 
And I was like, fucking right. Like, God save the Queen is like, I'm, I'm, there's two things I disagree with there <laughs> already, really, which is one, one, the God bit. And, you know, if there is one, the number one priority, I don't know if it's necessarily that. You know, it, 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 I just, anyway, I, I find that way. It would make a good film, though, wouldn't it? I'd have Tom Cruise playing God <laughs> and Helen Mirren play the Queen. But fucking I just beats fuck out of everyone. I just think, it's, it, it, to me, it's just really hit home how... You know, we look at America with very, you know, kind of like, oh, it's so unpleasant over there, the way the press works. It's just, you look at it here with the monarchy and it's, no wonder they fucking left the country, man. Like, who can blame them? I, know, I never understood the what they were so angry with Harry and, and Meghan about. Like, taking the, the sort of the racial subtext out of it for a second, people were just so annoyed with the pair of them for leaving. And they're like, but they gave, they're, here's all the money for Frogmore Cottage. They gave it back. They don't want it. They've not asked for anything, and they just fucked off, like, as far as I can tell. The they've not, they're not taking anything. They haven't taken anything, and that's what annoys people, is that, you know, in the same way that they have built up this blind idolatry and this blind worship of um, these archaic ideas, of nationalism and patriotism like the monarchy. When people in see people in power turning their backs on this privilege, that makes them upset because we can remove, I say people time, we can remove colour from the issue of Harry versus Meghan. What the bottom line is, is that you have a country, you have a capitalist Western system where most people realise that their lives won't be particularly remarkable. The way people rationalise their day-to-day -day working through life, especially, for example, if you are uh, a working-class white person living in the UK, there is a large percent chance that there are members of your family that may still be illiterate in an English-speaking country, the English-speaking country, mm -hmm. also following the credit crunch and just, you know, just normal economic um, machinations. You're not going to become a millionaire. Most people know this. The way you're mm -hmm. able to rationalise this and be able to not have a breakdown or demand for the removal of your oppressors or your rulers is by being able to attach yourself to more, uh, pre more uh, prestigious ideas. You can be like, well... I am not going to do it for my whole life, but I'm a proud of the, I'm a part of the British empire. My appearance and aesthetic is, resembles that of my superiors much closer than my black and white, black or brown counterparts. And therefore I am a subject of the queen. People derive a level of self-esteem from that. If they don't have that and people will have the accountability of themselves to manage their life achievements, then they, it's very hard for people to stomach. And I'd say for a lot of women, in this country who have vitriol towards Meghan Markle is because an American girl came from America and got to marry a prince and it's never going to fucking happen for you. Mm. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. And I, who knows where this conversation is going to end? Not our one, but the, uh, the general conversation no. about the monarchy. Cause it's, um, it's definitely stoked a lot of fire, isn't it? Online, Dane. Uh, I mean, it has. And uh, I'm going to say myself, speaking completely subjectively, I still think this all is a large part of the constant destruction that has begun in earnest from about 2008, where a, a collection of people who are really the one, referred to as the 1% or the haves are continuing to uh, manipulate Mm. Uh, the emotions and the focus of the populace at large to make you people forget that they stole all the money from you and they're going to keep throwing these distractions in your face until you realize who is the real issue. And that's all it is, I think, because it doesn't, because it doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, the Queen's holdings and Queen's earnings at this particular point means that she'd be able to provide cover and care for her family for years to come, evidenced by the fact that even Princess Diana herself had made sure as a part of her legacy she had left enough investment so that um, there'd be a financial base to provide care mm. and nurturing for her children. 
You know, that goes 10 through. million each, if you're and wondering. There you go, 10 million <laughs> each. And you know what? More power, I guess, to her if she had it. In the same way that the Queen, the Duke of Cornwall alone, who is not, you don't see in the pictures of the Queen, but the Duke of Cornwall, who is obviously related, his property portfolio is worth 8.3 billion. Hmm. And that's just the Duke of Cornwall. So I'm just saying that, you know, in the interest of, you know, being a lot more moderate in dealing with uh, right wing discourse or even uh, in support of a free economy, I think we should cut them off. I think they've done well enough. I think, if, and or I'd say my other idea was if we have a real issue with tourism, why not leave it open like an election for someone to be a regent? No, if fun. you knew you could buy the equivalent of a raffle ticket or a lottery ticket and you could do. <laughs> You could serve as this country's sovereign for four years. Oh, lots of fun. That's a great TV show. Let's right. do it. You know, do you know we will have Gemma Collins as queen for the next 50 years. Are you ready for that? <laughs> That's what people vote no, for. No, sorry, not Gemma Collins. Sorry, the JC. The JC yeah. would be queen. JC. And if people vote for that, that's what they vote for. I reckon we'd get a lot more bank holidays out of Gemma Collins. Golden Jubilee, it'd be golden, but it'd be white as well, Russell. (laughs) On that bombshell day. This is my speech, babe. Dave, I deal with it. I run the country, darling. (laughs) But you know what? With that being said, for those people who are so outspoken about having a secular uh, society or those who follow Darwinist Darwinist doctrine, there is no reason why Gemma Collins would not be predisposed to be a monarch any more than anybody else genetically. So I look at it as that we are... <laughs> That's a good question. Is Gemma Collins genetically disposed to be a monarch? <laughs> she can be a queen of something. How about that? <laughs> Everyone's a queen of something, I guess. Is that going to be your question today, Dane, or have you got something else? <laughs> thank, uh, thank you for asking, answering mine, though. I, I enjoyed listening to that immensely. Can I just say, just for you, mm. just the, the little thing that, that Dane said there, this is one of my favourite facts, is so if we were to become a secular country tomorrow, mm. right, and we all stop believing in God... Our the life expectancy of a large swathe of the population would go down. So it's one of my favourite facts to make atheists like myself uncomfortable <laughs> is the one thing you can do to add four to five years of life now without changing your diet or exercise is to start believing in God as by all measures they outlive atheists by four to five years in men, two to three years in women. Mm. Every single country, every single religion. I completely believe that. I can actually believe that, and I, th- I, I don't think that, I don't necessarily know if there is a spiritual or metaphysical reason for that. But I would say maybe psychologically that it's psychological. Yeah, it's it's human being. We're supposed we're supposed to check in with each other. Imagine if me and you every Sunday, I was like, "You're right. You got enough money. How's your wife?" Oh, and when there was something bringing us together, human beings are programmed to check in with each other, sit next to each other, Absolutely. break bread together. Yeah, and religion forces you to do that once a week. Well, uh, or, uh, religion more is the politic the polit- uh, politicization of that. Um, ideal that human beings we are a social species so our um i guess uh what's the word i'm looking for uh our collective um well-being is something we should observe anyway all that has happened yep. is that, that is a natural inclination of human beings just as a social species that the progenitors of modern day or even religion in general were aware of and were able to capitalize on hmm. in the same way that people know that for most i would say this for example most women who are part of the workforce probably don't have the same time they would like to observe certain elements of their femininity. Like that's why they have to put the makeup, makeup on on the train. People are aware of this, but rather than being like, we need to provide a industrial environment whereby women's face aren't, you know, subject to the same level of toxification from working in the big smoke, they'll just sell you stuff that matters. In the same way that like, we know that obesity kills more people than knife crime, but you have a sugar tax rather than addressing the issue. Because it's like, we could do something about it, but it's money to be made. 
It is knife crime, but it's more, it's a cake slice. It's the knife <laughs> Dane, um, it's, I think it's time for your question on this uh, week's episode. Uh, what have you I got? I mean, you us? fucking blew the podcast apart with a monarchy question. I know, <laughs> I know. It was deliberate. It was deliberate. Um, yeah, over. I hope Dane's is something like, is bread nice or something? No, it's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> you know, that's cool. you know what? Even that, um, to an extent, Russell, though, is kind of like, belies a real existential question. Do you remember there was a point in oh, fuck's like, sake. <laughs> the best thing is sliced bread. Now everyone's gluten intolerant. So, you know, you know I mean? it does speak about <laughs> <human> evolution. Right, so go on, what's the question? My headphones came out. No, but the question is a big, it, it, they kind of, it all, I hope it all interlinks with all the previously discussed topics because I would say, you know, under the subject, for example, on on the subject of monarchy, for example, and even on the subject of privilege, um, these normally become heated exchanges, especially when you're juxtaposing the, uh, I guess, the immigrant contingent or the diaspora and the white working class. And I say that because I feel what a lot of people fail to understand is that racism is not about what people say. It's what can actually be done. And I was doing a tour show last year where I had to make it very clear to people that uh, it's one thing when you hear working class people tell you to go back to where you came from, but they are not the people that are hiding documents, destroying documents, falsifying them, and actually creating legislation to create the Windrush scandal. That would be the middle class people that are in parliament and your head of your home office. In the same way that... Um, at a time now where nomenclature used within comedy and in terms of identity politics is so, so, so sensitive. But when I started doing comedy, being able to call somebody a pikey or a scally or a chav, acceptable hatred towards the white working class was ubiquitous. And I say all that to say this, because obviously I feel like one of the parallels that you and I have, Russell, is that we have had an upbringing which would... I guess I'd say our narrative, our speech patterns, the way we speak, kind of betray the reality of our upbringing. And maybe compared to a lot of our peers, we have the gift of being able to articulate that experience and deliver it in a way that people from outside of that socioeconomic class can understand. So it's like you can tell working class stories to middle class people. And as a result of which, I think you're the best person to answer this question. Uh oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, How I'm, big's your telly? Maybe that's a question. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's, it's just a very simple question because obviously just going through, you know, just the list of your achievements and your body of work, um, how have you found it as being a straight, white, working-class man? Is like, you know, to, it is flippantly said that people are happily to negate your narrative and be like, well, it's a white, working-class, it's a white, a straight, white man, a straight, white man. Mm. But, you know, there is a obviously a distinct bit of nuance based on socioeconomics, if you are working class versus being middle class. I just wanted to know, how is that been for you? currently, And have there been any market changes of your experiences and interactions with uh, stakeholders within the industry since uh, these conversations have come to the fore? Yes, lots. Uh, and quite rightly so. <clears throat> so we're all on um, like a learning journey where we, ha- if you if you have grown up white and working class, that's the only journey you know. Up until I was about thirteen or fourteen, I didn't even realise 
that there were other people that had substantially more than me. I just came in from school, went over the park, then started smoking weed over the park, then left school with, with shit without even getting A-levels. Didn't question it. I never was like, oh my God, I've been ro- robbed by accident of my birth. Then around sort of 18, 19, I started to get a bit angry, redid my A-levels, hmm. got an A-grade sociology, worst A-level I could have done, so it made me even more angry. <laughs> and then I went to uni and got an, an angry first. Since then, I've not been held back at all, apart from stuff that I now look back and was a bit inappropriate. Like, I suppose, one of my first jobs, someone asked me to do something. I went, no problem at all, mate. And I was given a disciplinary for using the word mate by somebody. (laughs) I'm not trying to meet. Whereas, looking back now, in 2021 term, I would have said, well, I'm allowed to say mate. That's my accent. That's my class. That's my identity. We say it to everyone. So to little things like that, where a lot of the people in my industry were posh, but as soon as I was out of a posh industry, jewelry and in and into advertising, which is like stand up, which is much more of a mix of people based on how creative they are. And unfortunately, posh elite people can't make themselves more creative. They can study art and they can get more breaks, but they can't be, they can't actually have more unique ideas. They can't for, squeeze more out. So as soon as I was in an environment where I could be a copywriter and and things like that, I've never felt held back by the fact I started life um, sort of st- stuck in the council estate with shit opportunities. No one backed me. No one helped me go to university. Um, I never had any of those things. And I always felt, uh, up until, certainly at uni, that if there was a room full of people who were like privately educated and they were speaking about Jane Austen, I would feel like I couldn't join in, even if I had better arguments because of the way I sounded. Um, so I suppose you could make an analogy there with skin colour in that you felt like, I felt like I didn't have a right to join the conversation because I was from working class background, therefore how could I know about posh things like literature? But I got over myself quite quickly. Well, I say quite quickly, by the time I was 25, hmm. And by then, I would say I've been treated very fairly in the industry. It's matched how funny I've been. I've had the right sort of breaks and I've made several mistakes, which have cost me jobs. And I've done several things brilliantly, which have got me jobs, just like all stand-ups. The recent, the last 10 years, in my own work, in my own shows I make, I make, not out of some tokenistic identity politics way, I'm interested in people that have different stories to me. That's where I come from. I know no one's going to believe it, but that is the God's honest truth. I'm nosy. If you're female and from Taiwan, I'm probably going to want to know your story more than I am Gary from Loughton, just because I don't know anything about girls from Taiwan. So I probably would want you on Evil Genius more because it's going to make the program more interesting. So that's always been my attitude is what provides more meaty, interesting uh, content. Mm. So far as the specific question of, are you being told, sorry, you can't have the job because you're a white man and it's not representative enough? Of course, that's what all uh, people are being told at the moment. And quite rightly so, because the balance is is swinging the other way while the business is rebalanced. This is what I will say to my angry, anyone who might be angry listening to this sort of right-leaning. No one is suggesting don't give the job to a, a, a white person, only give it to a person of colour or only give it to a woman. All I, My suggestion would be let's fill our shortlists and fill 
I described it like being on the beach and we look in all these different rock pools for all these little different treasures when you, you're a kid. And for the last 30 years, some rock pools have just been ignored and they're full of little gems. They're full of funny voices or great writers or this and that. So all I'm saying is spend more time looking in the rock pools we weren't looking in before. I'm not saying only select from those rock pools, mm. but you could spend double the time looking in them and then still go with... Russell Kane, the white guy anyway, but you should have spent double, triple the time looking in previously ignored resources. Why? Because it makes comedy better. It makes literature better. It makes it more interesting. This is one thing, Russell, that I, I, I've heard Dane, obviously we've, we've, we've done a few episodes of this show now. Uh, and, I, and, you know, Dane has often talked about the laziness in this industry at times, you know, and I work in this industry so I can vouch for it. Uh, it's just it's just not people just not putting their brain on to the level they should because you know I, I can tell you you know Russell <laughs> when you're on a list there, there aren't many Russell Canes on on <laughs> not exactly ex- exactly that and it's, it's it's so strange to like watch someone who's been so capable in so many incarnations uh, of comedy formats and then you know to try and see people trying to mimic the same thing who do not have what I believe to be a massive gift especially given over the last 20 years where there was a accepted Eurasia of white working class men from British television. And that was justified under the, um, under, you know, under the pretense that, you know, people completely immediately associate um, racial, racist rhetoric and um, misogyny and yeah. sexism with white working class men. When people are making references or we are critiquing and using nomenclature like cat calling and harassment, the tone yeah. that is displayed is always the white working class man, even when most people close their eyes and they even uh, ponder your quintessential racist. That's what they see as a guy like, do you know what I mean? I've got, you know, I've got tattoos and blah. But, you know, as, as you rightfully point out, Russell, the odds are that white people within the working class have much more interactions with people from more diverse backgrounds than the middle class gatekeepers that are, you know, have a much more executive this is what I hope our grandchildren will tune out. So when I, when I talk about it in my book, Son of, Son of a Silverback, which is all about my daddies, if, we, if everyone whose voice is quieter than it should be based on um, privilege that is not nothing to do with you, you can't change if you were born in a council state, you can't change what colour you were born, you can't change what height you were born, come to mention it. <laughs> so if we just all said, like, if there's a volume and the Queen's volume is 100, and single mum from a Bain background in a tower block, her volume is zero. We're all born with a certain volume level based on what we're handed at the start. And so if all the people with quieter, I'm not like fucking getting my Corbyn drum out or anything, but if all the people with a quieter volume got together and stopped carving ourselves up, it would be a very, very powerful way to redistribute the voices and volume. I personally, I have to just read, I don't have any complaints with my workload or, or the, the exposure I'm getting in the industry ever. You will never hear me bitch. I'm, ve- I'm very lucky. I'm working seven days a week, but it does, it does, as I say, boil my pit. You know, you'd be working with someone. I'm not thinking of anyone specifically here, um, but you'll go, oh, it's good to have someone of a more representative background and you'll speak to Lottie. And yeah, okay, Lottie might be from a representative background, but her dad's a barrister, her mum's a judge, <laughs> grandma is a politician. And she graduated, come some lauder. And, uh, but it's like, oh, it's represent. I'm like, does that really represent some of my friends of colour well, that I? Grew and the other up thing with? that comes in, do. the other thing that comes in here, one thing I, that, that does come up, and Dane has talked about this before, is is this desire for people to put people in boxes, and one of those things comes down to age. Now, I obviously, mm. I, 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 you know, watched 
all three series of your TV show, uh, Russell, back on BBC Three, and it, you know, I think oh, that's horrific. Oh, did, uh, mate, there was some. There was that was a joy to witness that show. There were so many good, good, good acts on it, and and um, it, it's. I, I think it's just interesting thing that so often people are put in boxes. There's no. They're supposed to represent some kind of version of uh, of you for something, and it's just not. You know, it's just it just it just doesn't to me make a lot of sense a lot of time. It's, people can work it out for themselves. You know, I, 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 Dane asked a really important question. There, the, the, the pigeonholes have been set up, and some of the pigeonholes that have been set up are great. I'm all for more representation out of sheer nosiness, um, and and also my my privileged position of. I haven't really got anything to threaten anymore because I'm sort of established. Now, even if I didn't do another minute of TV or radio in my entire life, I could probably tour little art centres in 20 years' time and still be fine. Do you know what I mean? So, of course, I'm going to back representation because I've sort of got to the top of my little bit, my little bit of the ladder. But it, it's sometimes I think that the pigeonholes of bit are too simplistic, or that we're but we're offensively lumping people together that don't belong together. I mean, you see it all the time with the BAME argument. It's like why why are you lumping? So I don't I don't just go oh Bangladeshi person Jamaican person same thing. I mean, to me that I find that offensive. It's not for me to find offensive. Like, I find that offensive. Think about BAME, the acronym, the term. I mean, I was just having a conversation on a podcast yesterday about the term black alone. Like, I don't have like if we're talking about black and you're talking about in black in terms of an, an aesthetic an aesthetic description of another person, well, then that, by that same token, a black would also include someone who is an indigenous Australian from who lives in like you know New South Wales, but also would include someone from Papua New Guinea if you're talking about the aesthetic. I have nothing in common with these people, other than you know, apart from a political status, like. The term BAME, like even the term Asian, how are you even trying to compare a continent? Like, I'm sure that Uzbekistan is in the continent of Asia, but so is Taiwan. Those two cultures could not be further apart. Like, and, and so it's, it's trying to work out how, like, the only thing people have in common, even with the LGBT community to an extent, the only thing people have in common is the grouping that they're under. That's the only thing they actually have in common is the umbrella term in which they're grouped. Like, you know, you think about the implications for your life as a mem- in being t- member of the T with, or being transgender within that community as opposed to the implications of what it means to be uh, gay and then also it, the intersectionality of being gay as well as dealing with all of the other racial and economic aspects of your being. You can't compare those two things. That's like apples and motherfucking planets. It's so far apart. <laughs> well and said. It, I mean, yeah. I read I read a Carla's book recently, which is I would recommend to anyone. And so I learned a new verb that well, I didn't learn it. I've just never heard. I sort of deploy it now. It's, it's to be racialized. So you, with the society you're in decides what you you are you don't your genetics don't get to decide the and so i was I've been making a program about diego maradona last week now i didn't know he was racialized as black in his country that was fucking news to me mm. but in argentina he described himself as a little black boy from the ghetto hmm. so he was sort of a, a person of color in his home country so we're we're racialized according to random pigeonholes that have been set up depending on the accident of where you've been born in our case the united kingdom yeah. it's crazy but yeah, the answer the answer to your question is um Dane, yes there's been changes i back nearly all of them but i do i do resent the idea of white man being this one homogenous yeah, concept. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly, exactly what I wanted to ask because I feel like, like I said, speaking to somebody like yourself, speak to somebody like Adele Strain, um, who has, you know, significantly different, uh, very different, you know, political outlook versus someone like a Jeff Norcott. But it's like, you know, I feel like it's strange that like, you like, because, you know, 
by all, by, and, and I think it's all down to a large conversation about this idea of trying to contextualize human existence along the line of an algorithm. And because this is, you know, and that, again, it's for capital purposes. This is why people make these declarations about themselves in terms of when you see someone on social media, it's like, my name is this, I'm from here, this is how I identify sexually, these are the pronouns I want you to use. That way of quantifying your existence is not something you tend to do as a human being. If you could quantify what you're about so very easily as a human being, we wouldn't need the process of dating and courtship to get to know one another because most people exist moderately within various different political ideologies. No one is really wholly binary anyway. We just contextualize ourselves that way on social media for the sakes of algorithms because then they know mm -hmm. what kind of advertising, what kind of stories, what kind what kind of manipulation can I serve, suggest that this particular person based on the algorithm, but when we, how we exist in real life, that's not who we are. So for example, I look at another a comic I work with quite frequently on a radio show, uh, Leo Curse. Leo is an outspoken oh, yeah. Tory, he's very right wing, very much uh, against uh, you know taxation and socialist structures. Well, I'm able to get on with Leo just fine. I can always have discourse with Leo that doesn't descend into any kind of name corner or insults or any kind of tension because we're able to respect one another as individuals. But when we need to look at our leanings on paper, you know, we would be diametrically opposed and it would be like, if you put these two people in the room, we'd be, like, we'd be putting two cats in a bag with like, you know, a gram of Coke. And <laughs> I think, you know, the real issue is, is this this idea that we are so focused on trying to make declarations based on what separates us from everybody else rather than what kind of brings us together. So it's why it's like I said, for the white working class, there is this kind of uh, real uh, unified theory of um, racism and sexism that I don't believe is particularly accurate. But again, I just think, it's one of these things that rather than race blame, it would be remiss of me, given my heritage, to to really try to talk about the merit of myself as an observational comedian and social commentator if I'm not speaking to what is supposedly a even a privileged group. Yeah. Mm. It's a, um, Brett, so Brett Goldstein, who was a stand-up, I don't know if he still is, he's a writer now, he's taken that idea of algorithms and identities to the next level. So if you want the series Soulmates on Amazon Prime, very good. Mm. It's uh -huh. the, the idea the idea that you register, it's like a Tinder of the future, you register yeah, yourself like, and it just takes... Episode, right? they, yeah, yeah, he just takes all your identities and matches you with the soulmate you're supposed to be with. So it sort of takes that ad nought. Ad nauseum. Lovely. Do you know the only one like, when 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 people put their IDs on and they go like I'm I'm transgender. Uh, I grew up in um, Brazil, or but um, I'm from Jamaican background. I I never resent it because I sort of think that's really does explain a lot about how you've perceived the world and everything that's happened to you. The only one where I'm like, now nah, fuck off, <laughs> is when people, what's your identity? Well, I'm vegan. I'm like, listen, right, you <laughs> might, I, I back, listen, I'm a Green Party member, politics on the table, so no one backs veganism, even though I'm not strong enough to do it myself. I totally back it. Your identity isn't that you eat vegetables. There must be more <laughs> to you than that. No, it's true. That's there your diet. <laughs> <laughs> not your identity. But, but it's identity. Diet. I would introduce myself as being like, my name is Dane Baptiste. Official out of current buns. <laughs> but if I do, like, I'm doing daytime TV at the moment and I'm having to try and get jokes through, and I can do a joke that's slightly ironically sexist, no complaints. I can do a joke that might talk about Megan and identity politics, no complaints. If I even drop one shade of an anti vegan remark in, my Twitter lights up for two days and people go to Ofcom. They're <laughs> um, it's been uh, another superb episode, Dane, isn't it? We've managed to get through so much stuff. And I don't think when we when Russell said he was going to do the show, we had no doubt, right, Dane? That was going to be the case. Oh, absolutely. As I said, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I, I, I think you are one of the most, most important voices in our country, for sure. Oh, fucking hell, man. Jesus, Dane, uh, thanks. No, no pressure. But <laughs> I, you know, I, just, I just think we're, we're very much in a state of social flux. And I would uh, 
be uh, very eager to hear more about you opining on it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, Thanks for having me. It's been amazing. No, I love your work. And congratulations on congratulations on the um, series as well, Dave. Oh, thank it's you brilliant. so much. But I heard you got a book out. Please uh, let uh, listeners know where they can find more about your. Yeah, book. if you if you want to know about what it's like to grow up with a frustrated, knuckle dragging, white working class right wing dad, read Son of a Silverback. It's all about my old man. <laughs> that's something that our listeners can go and check out uh, and also please uh, and they can also check out the podcast as well guys so please check out um, Boys Don't Cry and Evil Genius Evil Genius so Evil Genius definitely if you want to talk about you know the, the, the moral fabric in which our society is built upon then that is definitely the podcast for you um, and yeah. of course um, Stand Up Sketch Show as well which is on TV for the rest of March I think or something like absolutely guys that is ITV2 ITV2 weekly at I believe 10pm so please check that out you can find Russell Payne there as well and uh, again Russell thank you so Respect. much Respect, Russell. Thank you, sir. And, 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 and your height's perfect, mate. You don't need to worry about your height. <laughs> You're smashing it. Absolutely. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnaptiste. Our guest was Russell Kane. You can follow Russell on Twitter and Instagram at Russell underscore Kane. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.